before we begin our sermon this morning, just want to echo the words of Bobby and encourage us all to be thinking now and planning to invite people to our Vacation Bible School, which begins July 24th and runs through July 27th. I know David Chang and others have done already a great amount of work, and there's more work to be done with that, and we're looking forward to having a great Vacation Bible School, and it really is for all ages. We tend to think about VBS being only for children, but there will be adult classes as well, and so be thinking of somebody to invite to that, and also if you would like to help or to get involved in any way, I know David won't turn away any volunteers, and also be thinking about the Widowhood Workshop that's coming in August, August 12th through the 14th. And we'll be looking forward to that. We all know somebody who's hurting, somebody who's grieving. And a workshop like this one is something that would be a help to us as Christians, but also to people who are suffering in the world and really don't know what to do with that suffering or where to turn. And so let's be thinking about those events and doing our best to reach out to our friends and loved ones so that they might be here and benefit those endeavors. If God does not exist, then nothing else matters. But if God exists... Nothing matters more. Last week, Neil walked us through Psalm 8 and masterfully showed us that God does, in fact, exist. We can look at his imprint in the world and in creation and all of the evidences that he has left behind for us to observe. But also, we can look into the mirror and see God's fingerprint on us as we've been made in the image of God. And most people, many people would rightly concede that you and I are not here by accident, that someone had us in mind, that there is a designer, a power above us and stronger than us, who is in charge of the universe in its entirety. But that's not all. After we conclude that God does exist and that there is a power above us and one that is in in charge of the entire universe, the next question to ask ourselves is this, has God communicated to us at all? And if he has, can we know it? Now, Christians profess and believe that the Bible, the 66 books that have been translated and preserved for us, is in fact God's word. It's the word of God. It's the book that God wants us to have. Someone has described the Bible using the acronym B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. Others have said the Bible is simply the roadmap that God has given to earthly sojourners as we do our best to make it back home to our Heavenly Father. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We teach children the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. But not everyone agrees. Atheists and skeptics say the Bible is nothing but a book full of fairy tales, written things written in it that didn't happen or that couldn't happen. That Christians believe to make themselves feel better. But all mature and sensible people know it's just not true. Richard Dawkins, probably the most famous atheist in the world said these words, the Bible is a good book to read for literature, but it is not a good guide for morality. And then others say, why exalt the Bible? After all, there is the Quran and the Hindu writings and the Jews have the Mishnah and the Talmud and they're the Buddha writings. If the Bible is a sacred book, it's merely a Christian version of such. No one can say with certainty that it's the word of God for everybody or can we? And so as we seek to answer the biggest questions, This one rises to the surface. Is the Bible, in fact, the word of God? And if the Bible is the word of God, how can we know it? And how can we be sure that we know what we claim and what we believe? Has God left us any evidence? Has God done anything to prove without a doubt that this is more than the minds of men? It's more than just our belief system that we hope is true. But are there ways that we can verify with certainty and know that it is? And building on that knowledge, what does God want us to do with it? 
if the Bible is, in fact, the word of God, it's not the case that God merely wants to fill our heads with intellectual knowledge. There must be a responsibility on our part to go forward from there. And what is that responsibility? Answering life's biggest questions means, does God exist? Yes, he does. And if he exists, has he communicated with us and has he done so through scripture? What we want to do this morning is merely to prove this case or do our best to show the Bible is, in fact, the word of God. And how can we know it? And what is our responsibility as Christians and non-Christians toward the book that God wants us to have? Let's begin. Number one, is the Bible the word of God? Yes, but we first need to appreciate it is based on the claims that Scripture makes about itself. The Bible comes right out and says that it is a document that's been given to humanity by God for human purposes. That is, the authors that wrote the Bible that you have in your hand or on your lap or on your phone. It's a book written by men, but all of those men claim that they were writing things from God. You remember in John 16, 30, 13, Jesus said to the apostles, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come upon you, he won't speak of himself, but he'll speak the things that have been delivered to him. He will guide you into all the truth. He won't speak of his own, but he will show you things to come. That is, the Holy Spirit was going to empower the apostles. And in so doing, they will be able to call back to mind things that Jesus had taught them and they would record them for us and preserve them. So we would have them now. When Paul talked about the process by which he wrote the epistles, he says, by revelation, I received it and I wrote it down in a few words so that when you read, you might understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. But if there was one passage in the Bible that dealt with this exhaustively, it would be Second Timothy chapter three. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Second Timothy chapter three and verse 16. And notice what the Bible says about itself. Second Timothy three and verse 16. Paul is telling Timothy, beginning in 14, continuing the things you've learned and have been assured of. And remember from whom you've learned them and from a child, you've known the sacred writings or the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise concerning salvation in the faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Now, notice verse 16. All scripture, the old King James says, is given by the inspiration of God or it is God breathed and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible claims to be inspired by God. Now, the newer translations say God breathe or breathe out by God. And this word, theotnustos, that's what it means. It means to be breathed in by God. God put the words into the writers. When we say the Bible's inspired, we do not mean that the Bible is inspiring. Like your favorite movie may inspire you to be a better person or a novel may inspire you to be more courageous. When we say the Bible's inspired, we mean it is God's words given to man. And what's in the Bible is what God wanted recorded, how he wanted recorded. And the authors give him all of the credit. In fact, 3000 times in the Bible, you find this phrase, the word of the Lord, 1800 times you find this phrase, thus says the Lord. That's the human author's way of saying to us as we read it. These are not my words. Listen to a sampling of these phrases where the human authors point clearly to God as the one behind their writings. You think about passages like Samuel 23 and verse two. David says the spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his words were on my tongue. God spoke to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter one and verse nine. And he says, I put my words in your mouth. 
He even told Moses in Exodus 17 and verse 14, you write these things for a memorial in a book, the book we know as the book of Exodus. Moses wrote it, but God's the one that was the architect behind it. Paul could say in 1 Thessalonians 4:15, this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Or the things that I've received of the Lord, I declare to you, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23, the apostles and prophets that wrote our Bibles believed that they were God's messengers and that they were writing his words. Paul said, if any man thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him know the things I'm writing to you are the commandments of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 14, 37, the Bible claims to be inspired of God. Somebody says, not so fast, Hiram. Just because the Bible claims to be the word of God does not make it the word of God. And that's correct. That's true. But what it does show us when the Bible claims to be the word of God, that claim in and of itself does not prove that it's a divine book. But it does prove this, that to take the Bible seriously, that's the only way to read it. When the Bible authors say things like, thus says the Lord, or we're writing from God, what they're saying to us is this. If you would take this message seriously, you cannot read it like you would Huckleberry Finn, a catcher in the rye, or Ernest Hemingway. The Bible authors won't let us get away with that. They won't let us get away with the idea that they were merely writing good literature. They believe they were writing God's literature. And so 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. Turn your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1 and notice verse 20 and 21. It's a parallel passage. And you might even write in the margin of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 this very verse because the ideas go together. In 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, Peter says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation or origination. Prophecy did not come in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were born along or carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter says it was not our own human ingenuity. We wrote the things to you from God. He claimed that his writings and the others were inspired of God. You know, sometimes people take a human book and they like it so much that they try to make it as if it is divine, though the author never had that in mind. That's what three Harvard Divinity students did with the book known as Harry Potter. They have a very popular podcast out right now, and it's called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. When these three individuals are interviewed, they said, listen, we know Harry Potter's not inspired. We know that it's not a book that claims to be from God, but we just want to read it as if it is. And so they have these discussions about reading Harry Potter as if it was sacred material. Now, if you were to interview J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, she would tell you she wrote the book for fun, merely for fictional purposes and enjoyment. But I would say to the three hosts of the podcast, what if they didn't have to pretend? What if there really was a book that God gave to humanity, not for fun, but for faith, so that we could know with certainty God's message to us? You see, when Peter and James and John and Paul say this is the word of the Lord, they're not merely assuming something. Christians haven't put this on the Bible as if the Bible's not claiming it for itself. The Bible says it's more than a human book. It's from God. Somebody says, well, how did inspiration work? Human individuals wrote the message of God. Just merely reading the Bible helps us to see how this works. God's the architect and the author behind the message, but he in no way suppressed the personality, the talents and the background of the authors. But the entire production was all under his oversight and his design. And so rather than viewing the authors of Scripture as individual authors attempting to write a bestseller, we should view all of them. As secretaries for the divine author, writing what he wanted his way and putting his words into this book. The Bible claims to be from God. Now, listen, that doesn't prove our case in and of itself, 
but it at least gets the Bible in the conversation of divine books. As for this God, His way is perfect, and all of His words are true. Psalm 18 and verse 30. The Bible claims it, and so if we're going to take the Bible seriously, we must do away with the idea that, well, it's, it's good literature. And it'll form your life, and it'll help you to have some good principles, but you can't hold it up as divine. To read it as it is in truth, to read it as the authors would have us to read it, is to see it at least as what it claims to be. And that is the inspired God-breathed word. Sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. The Bible claims to be a book from God. Now, here's number two. The Bible contains evidence for inspiration. More than just saying that the Bible's from God, the Bible gives us clues. The Bible leaves us a trail of breadcrumbs which would help you and I and anybody who reads the book. You don't have to read very far in the Bible before you come away with this reality. This is the production of individuals who were writing with divine aid. And so Solomon could write in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5, every word of God proves true because it does. Or David in Psalm 119 and 160, your word is true from the beginning or the sum of your word is true. And every one of your righteous decrees endures for all generations. God doesn't just claim that his book is divine. He shows it. Somebody says, how do we know? Well, there are clues. There's a trail of crumbs that God has left us. And this list is by no means exhaustive. But just consider these facts about the Bible. And in each one of these, I want you to ask yourself, how would these men know what they knew? Without divine aid. Number one, there's predictive prophecy. Now, you and I can hardly accurately predict the weather that there's going to be this afternoon. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, after all, this is Kentucky. But the inspired authors of the Bible predict the future decades and hundreds of years out into the future and often do so with great precision every time they do. And as the decades roll on, their words unfold exactly as they said they would. Isaiah 46, 10 says about God, he knows the end from the beginning. In what ways? 150 years before King Cyrus was ever born. In Isaiah 44, 28, and in Isaiah 45 and verse 1, Isaiah spoke in 700 B.C. and said, one day God's going to raise up a man named King Cyrus, and he'll lead God's people out of Babylonian captivity back to the promised land. The fulfillment of that, 150 years later, is recorded for us in Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. But not just Isaiah. Ezekiel. And Ezekiel 26, verses 1 through 14, said God is going to destroy the city of Tyre, but not only destroy the city. It'll only be a place where individuals hang fishnets in the days to come. And the decades and the centuries went on. And in 332 B.C., a man by the name of Alexander the Great, who, as far as we know, knew nothing of Scripture, fulfilled the prophecy. But it's not just Isaiah and it's not just Ezekiel. What of all of the messianic prophecies in Scripture? Jesus will be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5 and verse 2. He will be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7 and verse 14. He would preach using parables, Psalm 78 and verse 2. It's as if David is at the foot of the cross in Psalm 22 as he not only describes Jesus' death, but he gives the words that will come out of the mouths of his accusers at the foot of the cross. Now, here's the question. If these men are merely writing fairy tales, how do they know what they know? Predictive prophecy says the Bible's from God, but not just that. The Bible's historical accuracy. There was a British scholar named William Ramsey who one, at one time said Luke is the greatest fraud of all the historians that the world has ever seen. And he went on an archaeological excavation 
He went, he said, I'm going to find out about this Luke and see how accurate Luke actually was in the things he wrote in the Acts. He came back from his studies and he says, everywhere that I could check the great man, the historian Luke, he surpassed every standard of history. Luke in the book of Acts mentions 95 people, 32 countries, 54 cities and nine Mediterranean islands. And everywhere they could check behind Luke, he's accurate and he's right on the money. When he says that he investigated with great detail, he did indeed not one contradiction in his record. But the Bible is not just filled with predictive prophecy and historical accuracy. There's scientific foreknowledge. While human beings in the early times in our country were still practicing what we call bloodletting, which ultimately led to the death of George Washington, Moses in Leviticus 17:11 said, life is in the blood. Now, here's a question. Did Moses go to Harvard Medical School or John Hopkins University? How does Moses know in the deserts in Egypt and walking through the land of Canaan that the life is in the blood? How does he know that? How does he know the first law of thermodynamics, which says no new energy or matter can be created when he writes in Genesis two and verse one? God finished all the things that he created and there was nothing else coming after that. How did he know that all of the earth's energy, the earth as we know it, is winding down part of the second law of thermodynamics? David, when he writes in Psalm 102 and verse 26, one day God's going to take this old earth and fold it up as a garment. It won't last forever. How does he know? The scientific foreknowledge in the Bible says that these men wrote from God. But not only that, the Bible's unflinching honesty. The Bible does not simply seek to set its heroes and its faithful characters as perfect, but it shows their failings. It shows their weaknesses. Now, if you and I were going to write a history about how great our belief system was, we would probably shy away from the parts where we made big mistakes. But David's adultery and Abraham's deceit. The disciples desertion of Jesus and all of the other faithful heroes of Scripture, when they messed up, the Bible not only records it, but it records it accurately because these men were writing for God and from God. And they couldn't manufacture the history to make it as they wanted it to be. They just wrote the things as they happened. But not just that. It's the amazing unity and consistency of the Bible. Forty different authors. Over a period of about 1,600 years, on three different continents, they wrote in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and parts of the Old Testament is written in Aramaic. They're shepherds and statesmen. They're fishermen and doctors. And they all write together and form this amazing tapestry, which you and I know as the Bible, the word of God to us, and not one contradiction in the record. You know, people put the Bible to the test, and they often put the Bible to a higher test than human literature. And every time, the Bible not only rises to the test, but passes it with flying colors. The Bible contains evidence that says it's from God. On occasion, people would say things about the Bible like, you know, some of the people that are in the Bible, they really didn't exist. There's no record of these folks. And some of the places in the Bible, I mean, nobody's ever heard of the Hittite people. And this King David, if David really was a king who reigned in Israel for 40 years and built this great dynasty, where are the artifacts? Where's the history? Where's the record? In 1993, they found what's called the Tail Dan Steel. It's written in old Aramaic with Phoenician letters. And they said, well, no, David's ever existed. We've never heard of this, David. And probably if the Bible's wrong about that, it's wrong about a lot of other things. And in this steel, which depicts an Armenian king's battles, he's not a biblical man. He's not trying to advance the truth of the Bible. There's a line which says he fought against the house of Israel and the house of David. 
That not only says that David existed, but that phrase, the house of David, meant that David had a dynasty. David was a monarch, a king, a ruler. And there again, the Bible just shows itself to be true. In our court system, in criminal court, if you want to convict someone of a crime, the standard of proof is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the burden of proof. That means that if you want to say little Johnny ate the cookies or Bill killed Tom, you would have to produce evidence in which you're saying to the jury, no other conclusion is warranted by the evidence except for this. There's no doubt in this. This is exactly what happened. And in the case of the authority and truth of the Bible, there's no other conclusion to be drawn. You can't say that these men were merely intelligent because many of them were not by human standards. Their sufficiency was not of themselves, but of God. Second Corinthians three and verse five. It would be dishonest and foolish to say they got lucky a couple of hundred times. That couldn't be the case. The Bible says it's from God. But then the Bible goes a step further and says, here are the clues and the evidence that this is a divine book. Now, here's number three. The Bible cannot be destroyed. And maybe this one sometimes even skirts past us as Christians. We don't think about this enough. But one of the ways we know the Bible is from God is the fact that the Bible cannot be destroyed. If the Bible is proven wrong in one point, just one, that's all the critics would need. They could say the Bible is not a divine book. It claims to be from God and it's wrong in this one area. So away with all of it. If you wanted to get rid of the Bible, that's all you have to do. And then you could prove that the Bible wasn't true, wasn't accurate, but it can't be done. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Isaiah 40 in verse eight, Isaiah says the flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Have you ever considered this? The Bible is an ancient book from an ancient world. And here it is in modern times. Where are the ancient artifacts of the Canaanite religion from the ancient Near East? And where's the neatly copies of the neat copies of manuscripts from the Egyptian religion in the days of the Pharaoh? And where are the manuscripts that catalog the Roman faith or even that of the Greeks? All of these people lived in ancient times. If the Bible is just another fairy tale among many, why has it stood the test of time when all these other books haven't? No other book in the world has been translated as much as the Bible has. It's been translated into 700 languages and it can reach up to six billion different people groups. If the Bible is just the production of men, why can't men get rid of it? It can't be done. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away and my word will not pass away. It just it's not only that it's been translated more than any other book. We have more copies of it than of any other book. There are 5000 manuscripts of the Greek New Testament alone. Somebody says, well, what does that mean? The book that is in second place has only 600. It's as if God went to special lengths to make sure that this book would stick around to every generation, including ours. And here the Bible stands. There was a man that was a French philosopher. His name was Voltaire. He lived in the 1700s. And Voltaire said, a hundred years after my death, I'm going to make sure that the Bible is put out of print. He died. And a hundred years after his death, the Geneva Bible printing press opened up right in his house. In 100 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes said, I'm getting rid of these Jews. And a small band of Jews not only fought back against Antiochus Epiphanes, but they were able to uphold the Jewish scriptures until the time Jesus came. The Roman emperor Diocletian in 301 to 304 persecuted the Christians terribly. He believed that he had gotten rid of all the Bibles. Not only was he wrong about that, but when he died, the next emperor that took his place, Constantine, made Christianity the state religion. The Bible cannot be destroyed. And if it could, 
that might prove that it was a merely human book. But here it is. The Bible will endure the test of time. And if all of the paper copies were destroyed, the Bible still wouldn't be destroyed. Because Christians have been storing up the word of God in their hearts since God gave it. And if you got all of the Christians and all of the world together, the Bible would be reproduced again in no time. His word have we hid in our hearts that we might not only not sin against him, but that his word might be preserved. Psalm 119.11. When Jesus said the scriptures cannot be destroyed, he was right. John 10, verse 35, Peter called it the incorruptible or the indestructible seed. First Peter one and verse 23. When you hold this Bible in your hand, remember that it is the word of God. And the very fact that you're holding it in 2022 proves that it is. Here's number four. The Bible convicts and transforms the human heart. The Bible doesn't just claim to be the word of God and give us proofs. But the Bible does more. Would you turn your Bible to Psalm 19? Psalm 19 begins right where we started last week with Neil's lessons about creation. Psalm 19, in the first four verses, David says, the heavens declare the glory of God. David's point is, the sky says God exists. Just go look out at the stars. Just go look out at creation. But then in verse 7 and verse 8, he says, the scriptures declare that God exists. He says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. And then notice from verse 9 through verse 14 how David lavishly describes the word of God. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether in verse 9. It's more precious than gold and sweeter than honey in verse 10. And in verse 11 down through verse 14, it convicts and examines and exposes the human heart. Only the Bible can do it. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, the word of God is alive and it's surgical and it pierces the human heart. Somebody says, how does that prove that it's divine? No other book can do it. This man's name is Dale Williams. and He was the first African-American to have a black-owned hospital in the United States, but that's not what makes him special alone. In 1893, there was a man named Jane Cornish in the summer of 1893 in Chicago who was stabbed and he was rushed to Provident Hospital where Mr. Williams was the doctor. When he examined him, he realized that the knife had gone a little bit deeper into the chest than they first assumed. And he got him in on the table in this sort of cramped operating room with this crude anesthesia. Six other doctors looking on. And in 1893, he was the first man to successfully perform heart surgery in the United States. 20, 51 days later, Mr. Cornish got up and walked out of the hospital alive and intact. And he lived some 20 years after that. But we probably should correct the history books because he's not the first person in the history of the world, to ever perform heart surgery. The Bible's been doing that since it's been given to humanity. I challenge you to think of one thing that is helpful, intelligent, smart, or wise that would help humans to progress socially, intellectually, or relationally. That's not already in the Bible. The point is so strong that if anybody ever says anything wise, we sometimes say, that sounds like it's in the Bible, because it is. We got it from here. People say, well, I I don't believe the Bible's the word of God. I don't I don't know if I can believe that that's sure. The Bible makes us better and brighter. The Bible comes into our lives, tells us our problems, and then it seeks to fix us if we'll allow it. The Bible is unique in what it's able to do and how it confronts us and changes us and calls us to be better. If we would apply its principles, somebody says, I don't believe the Bible. You know, the Bible has slavery in it, and it does. 
But do you know that everywhere that the Bible has gone, it has made society better? In fact, every society in the world that has practiced slavery and where the Bible has gone and its precepts and its teachings have been accepted and applied, slavery has been abolished largely in part because of the truths of the Bible. Somebody says, I don't believe the Bible. You know, it's a patriarchal book designed to uphold men and put down women. But do you know that everywhere the Bible has gone and its teachings have been accepted and applied, women have been elevated to their rightful position as co-heirs and image bearers of the divine image. Yeah, but what about all the war and all the bloodshed in the Bible? Oh, the Bible doesn't shy away from the reality that sin brings bloodshed and violence and crime, but it's humans' best roadmap ultimately to peace. Andrew DeBanco was a professor at Harvard. He's now at Columbia. He wrote a book called The Real American Dream, A Meditation on Hope. He said hope is the anchor of every human society. Hope is how we overcome this flinching stress that in the end all of our getting and spending is our fidgeting until we await death. He said in the end, hope is how we overcome this lurking suspicion that all of our getting and spending is a mere fidgeting as we await death. Do you know how bad you need a hope that you can live for? Well, the Bible does, and it gives it to us. Paul says that he has given us hope of eternal life, which he promised before the world began, because he can't lie. Titus 1 and verse 2. The Bible proves that it's divine because it pierces to the human heart. It exposes us for who we really are and then shows us who we really can be if we apply its principles. Now, here's how I want to conclude this morning. In this last point, I I don't want to present any more proofs that the Bible is the word of God. I don't want to introduce any new evidence about the word being inspired or being divine. I merely want to talk to two groups of people. First, to people that don't believe that the Bible is the word of God. You say, I don't believe the Bible's inspired. I believe it's a book of fairy tales. I grew up hearing that, but I've grown up and I know I know better. Now, what I want to submit to people who may be watching this live or may watch this later, you may know somebody. If you don't believe the word of God is the Bible or the Bible is the word of God, I simply want to submit to you a challenge. The challenge that scripture submits to all humanity is in Psalm 34 and verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed are those that take refuge in him. To those that don't believe the Bible is inspired, I I have one request. I want to say to you, simply read it. I've talked to people. I've worked with people. They say, Hiram, I don't believe the Bible is inspired. I say, have you ever read it? No, I haven't. Would you read it? If the Bible is not from God and you read it, the only thing you've lost is time. If the Bible is inspired and you don't read it, you've lost everything forever. Try it and see. Do you know why when you go to the mall and the food court, people are out there handing out samples? Do you know why these companies say, we'll give you a 30-day free trial of X, Y, and Z? Somebody says, so I'll forget. I put my information on there and they'll charge me for one month. That may be part of it, but that's not all of it. They give you those free samples. They give you those free trials because they really believe in the product. Somebody says, well, won't you go out of business if you just keep giving away free stuff, if you keep giving away free samples? Oh, no, not if you believe in your product. Because if you believe in your product, what you know and hope and believe is this, that those free samples will in turn turn those samplers into lifelong subscribers. The Bible says, try it and you'll like it. Test the waters and see if it's really good. God says truth does not in fear investigation. It invites it. God welcomes you to read it. Do not be like the protagonist in Green Eggs and Ham. You know him. Sam I am says you like Green Eggs and Ham. You should try. He said, I do not like Green Eggs and Ham. I wouldn't eat them with a fox on a box in a train or in the rain. I I don't like green eggs. And then he tries them 
And he says, I do. I do like green eggs and ham. Thank you. Thank you. Sam, I I won't quote the whole book for you, but it's a masterpiece. You, You should check it out. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't think I would like it. Well, what if your maker knows what you need more than you do? What if he's crafted the Bible in such a way that it would draw your heart to his? What if in the Bible there are things that you don't even know that your heart needs that he's put in there for you to read? And the thirst that your soul desperately has within it is ultimately quenched by what we find in Scripture. What if you'll never know if you if you don't read it? You owe it to yourself to get into the Bible and see for yourself. I would challenge you. Just read the Gospel of John and see if you don't fall in love with him. Read the Psalms and see if you can find one human emotion that's not described within its pages. It's a challenge just to say, taste and see the Lord really is good. But now in conclusion, here's the second group. And it's those of us that believe the Bible. And it's a charge. It's one thing to believe that the Bible is inspired. It's another thing to treat the Bible like it really is. This same charge is in First Peter two and verse two. He says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow by it. If you've tasted that the Lord is good. And if we have, it's not enough for us to convince unbelievers. Look, this book is from God and you should read it. We have to be walking biblical billboards as those that have taken in the truth and have had our own lives transformed by it because we may be the only Bible some people ever read. And so for those who have never Giving God a try. God says, I'm up for the challenge. Put me to the test. Bring all your hardest questions. And I don't mean get on Google and read what people say about the Bible or for or against it. I mean, pick up a copy and read yourself. Skeptics, open your eyes, open your hearts. Christians, open your copy. It's what God wants us to do with his word. Is the Bible the word of God? It claims to be. It doesn't just claim to be, though. It proves its claims. People that read this book, the Bible never leaves people as it finds them. It changes us. It challenges us. And if we let it, it ultimately change us. If you're skeptical about the Bible being the word of God, if you're unsure about it, say the Bible from the stand up to the test. Give it a thorough and a deep, honest reading. And God believes he'll have a lifelong subscriber. If you believe that Jesus is the son of God, the only way you can come to that conclusion is because of what you find on the pages of inspiration. More than mere historical facts, the Bible is saying, here is a book that helps you to make it home. It's God breathed. It's the book that God wants us to have. And when we take in his teachings, Jesus says, it'll bring you all the way to me. And when you come to me, believing and trusting, you've got to turn around, turn away from sin, turn to me in faith and allow your body to be immersed in water, just like the biblical authors recorded Because that's what God wants us to do, to come into a relationship with him and to be saved. If you know there are no mistakes in the Bible and you're a Christian, but you look at your own life in light of his teachings and you see many, many that you haven't repented of. This may be a time for you to make it right, to live like you believe this book really came from God and one day it's going to judge us. Phil's going to stand and lead us in a song to encourage us. If this is your invitation, if you need to respond to the God-breathed word of Scripture, come now as together we stand and as we sing.